Leaders come in all different shapes, sizes, and styles. There is not a one-size-fits-all solution to leadership. Our goal is to connect with those who are in the trenches each day, leading themselves and leading others, to learn about their unique style, and to provide our listeners with inspiration to lead. Welcome to the Lead with Empower podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Lead with Empower podcast. We have a very special guest, a great friend, He's a fellow Springfield College graduate, just a year apart, 1997 to 2001. He played lacrosse on the men's uh, team there at Springfield College under the tutelage of Coach Bugby. He was the captain of the lacrosse program, 2001 All-American, also very involved at Springfield College outside of athletics, resident assistant, new student orientation. LTC, which is a leadership training conference and the Apple program. Without further ado, Mr. Jim Warnock on the Lead with Empower podcast. Jimmy, how the heck are you? Good. How are you, Dan? Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm doing great. And thanks for coming on. We have to figure out ways to fill our time with the, uh, the quarantine situation right here. So what better way than to have a, a great conversation with you, my friend? Yeah, well, we've, we, you and I have been known to get lost on the phone a couple of times. <laughs> once in a while, once in a while, for sure. We'll try to keep this one under control here a little bit. Uh, so before we get into anything, how's, uh, how's the Warnock family home holding up? Everybody healthy? Everybody in, in good spirits? Everyone's good. You know, uh, like so many other people, just managing the, the little things, right? The little things around the house, um, the homeschooling stuff, both my wife and I are educators, so we're we're doing a little bit of both. Well, a yeah. lot of both, but dude, it's good. You know, um, if, if nothing else, the situation allows you to gain perspective into, you know, the, the larger world and what's going on, Great. you know? So with that, some well-needed family time, so much, sometimes too much family time. <laughs> um, so we have a little separation stuff, but uh, good, good. Can't complain. Awesome. Great to hear. I'm glad everybody's healthy and uh, pass along a good hello to everybody at some point. So you graduated Springfield College in 01. You're currently up in South Windsor as a high school physical education health teacher. About a 15-year gap there. Tell, tell our listeners a little bit about the journey from Springfield College to where you are now and give them just a little insight into who is Jim Warnock? It's a scary, scary question. We're going down the deep hole right here. Who is Jimmy Warnock? Getting weird early. Uh, all right. <laughs> so graduated Springfield No. 01. Uh, had no desire to actually get a teaching job. Was a phys ed undergrad. Um, was going to be a college lacrosse coach. Um, and did that um, right out of school. Coached actually right down the road with a, a good mutual friend of ours, John Kopaki, for three years at Western New England College, now at Western New England University. Um, realized I love coaching at the college level, but the whole recruiting process and the other parts as a lifestyle, I was so lucky to have so many mentors who were a couple years ahead of me in that whole game and Springfield guys and got to see, you know, them starting families and me going, you know what, I, I want to coach, I want to impact kids, but I don't want to do it with the massive amounts of travel or the being willing to pick up and take the next job when the next job's open and move your family and all that stuff. Um, so I, I went into teaching. I spent three years at Western New England, and then I actually secured a job teaching phys ed and health at Southington High School in Southington, Connecticut. Uh, I was the boys' lacrosse coach there, the head coach. Um, ran a program of roughly 75 kids um, for at three levels, being freshman, JV, and varsity. Um, for four years. Um, my wife and I live in Summers, which is on the 
northern border of Connecticut, right by Enfield. And I was driving out to Southington. So I did that for about four years and that got kind of old. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, just we had been trying to both of us look for teaching jobs in either she teaches in Enfield, um, and either in the Enfield area or her in the South Windsor or in the Southington area. And the job came open in South Windsor. It's a great town. Um, I applied for it and um, I got the job. And I've been there ever since. Uh, I, I run a bunch of programs. I, uh, when I went back to, when I went to South Windsor, I actually went back to coaching at Western New England College. I was yep. a kid. So I would teach during the day and then drive up to Western New College and coach. And then at um, South Windsor, I've been, you know, parts of a bunch of different programs. Um, probably the one I love the most is my unified sports program where we work with, you know, it's Brent's a Special Olympics, so I run a unified sports program. It's actually part of our academic day. Yep. Uh, so I have 20 um, what we call partners, uh, which are able-bodied, able-minded uh, individuals who we train to work with children with special learning needs. Um, and then we have a class together where the partners teach what we call our, our special needs students being athletes. And then we go against other teams and compete after school. Um, I'm also part of our run our orientation program, which you've helped us with a little bit. And that's it. You know, uh, I don't coach at the college level anymore or the high school level anymore. Uh, along the way in that time at South Windsor, I was walking across the parking lot one day and got hit by a car. So that kind of is kind of a, a speed bump yeah. <laughs> if you will, in a really negative way, uh, but a really positive way in my whole process. Cause I like the brain surgery and some time off. So in kind of a reevaluation of, time and how we spend it and, and how we connect to each other and those things. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. And uh, just about the past 15 years up at South Windsor high school. Is that correct? Yep. That's great. You had, you had the bad accident and, you know, and, and we've worked together a handful of times uh, with, with your students over the years. And, you know, one of the elements of leadership when we're, I guess, quote unquote, teaching it as a topic is, you know, the, the first level of, of leading is leading yourself through challenge, adversity, fear, temptation, et cetera. It's a hell of a leadership challenge um, to, to come back from, you know, something that, you know, I think could have, could have ended up being a lot worse. Give, give, uh, give us a little insight as to kind of what the, the road to recovery was like and what were some of the personal challenges that you had to overcome? I don't know if there was a ton of them. Um, it's hard when you're in the middle of it, you don't really notice it, right? You just kind of do it. And I think that's where your previous experiences kick in, right? Uh, your, your experiences as an athlete, as a student, as, you know, all, all those kind of what we call coaching cliches, like, yep. you know, you're, you're nothing more collect than a collection of the five people you spend the most time with, like all of those things. I think all of those things, while they are cliche uh, points, they, they all lead to you being able to deal with adversity. Right. And those are the moments, the coaching, the coaching moments where I coaches help me develop a better understanding of, of how to get through tough spots on the field or, you know, that great teacher who pushed you past a level of understanding or held you accountable in a way that at the time really bugged you, but you worked through and it made you better. So I, I think that those are the moments that help you deal with the traumatic situations when they take place. Cause you don't have to think about them. You just kind of, I call it falling into management mode yep. and you just try to slow things down a little bit and, and just go from there. So, I mean, there were some significant challenges though. I mean, it was five months of no teaching. Um, and then I went back part-time and then more, more importantly, just dealing with the emotional mental side of it with any sort of, it was, I mean, I had a TBI 
you know, 28 staples and in my head and had to go through all of these like tests every six months about brain function and all that, see if there was any permanent deficit in reference to how my brain was operating. Yeah. So I think the biggest challenge, if I had to pick one, would be fighting your way through that fear of anytime I forgot something, right? My wife looks at me and goes, hey, can you pick up milk today? Yeah. Um, on top of it, I, I'm a diagnosed ADHD kid who took Ritalin and without Ritalin would probably still be in the fifth grade. Yeah. Um, so, you know, she said, hey, can you get milk? And me going, yeah, yeah, yeah I'll grab it. And then not getting it. Um, and not remembering she said it, or was it, did I not remember she said it? Did I remember and forget it? Was I not paying attention? You know, so I guess the turning moment in that was at that very last, every six months for 18 months, I had, so three times I had to go see this, this psychologist, uh, psychiatrist and go through all these memory tests that were hilariously (laughs) drawn out. But so like, like then they'd read you a list of 25 words. She'd read a list of 25 words in the, in the most monotone voice. It'd be like, you know, Bike, chair, apple, ladder, truck, house. And then she'd stop after 25 words and you'd repeat all of those back to her as many oh. as you could. And they'd do this like three times in a row. Now these tests went on for like an hour and a half to two hours every time. So then like 45 minutes later, she'd be like, do you remember that list of words we read? And be like, yeah. She goes, how many of those were vegetables? Um, so it was all like recall and stuff like that. So that was probably the biggest challenge, you know, for me professionally, I had stopped coaching college, was still teaching at South Windsor full time. And then it was that fall that I got hit by the car. So that was in November. I went back teaching full time in March of that academic year. The following year I took, uh, I was offered the job as the assistant athletic director at South Windsor high school, which was kind of professionally what, I don't know. You and I have talked about this a bunch. When you're a phys ed guy, that's one of the next progressional steps, right? You go teach for a while, you get your administrative license, you become an AD or principal. Um, and I had thought about that leadership role at some point in, in, on the building level. I enjoy that in the school I'm in now, and I enjoy those opportunities to help and to be part of a community on, on a more innate basis. But this was a great, I didn't need an 092 or an administrative license. So I went, I took the job and then realized that I was struggling with minutia. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd coached college. They said for a while, taking 50 college dudes on spring break where we played two games and we scheduled all the flights for them and we scheduled meals and we put out the itinerary. Like I'm like, how hard can it be to book buses? Well, very arrogant statement on my side, right? (laughs) You know, just in the fall alone at South Windsor, which we, we fall in class L to double L in Connecticut. So one of the largest schools every given year. And, uh, I mean, we have something like 17 uh, fall athletic programs, yep. 17 different teams between, you know, football, three levels, soccer, boys and girls, three levels, field hockey, two levels, cross country, like, and managing all of that. And this was the year, like I was maybe seven, eight months removed from brain surgery. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think the biggest struggle was while I said, you know, sometimes the stuff we learn as athletes and we learn more growing up in those situations allow us to deal with traumatic injuries. One of the things that I had to unlearn was that athlete mentality a little bit to say, I'm just going to outwork this because with, with brain injuries, there, there's no, there's no really outworking them. There's no, you know, pulled muscle. You can't really ice them. You got to kind of be patient. You got to give yourself some level of, of leeway or forgiveness 
Um, so that was probably the biggest struggle yeah. is coming to that realization that like, all right, for this go well. And it came through that memory test with that, that doctor, great lady. Um, you know, it was weird for you and I now, this was the first time in my life I'm seeing medical professionals that are about my age. So it was weird to begin with, right? <laughs> Normally they've always been older than us. Yeah. And uh, at that final debrief, you know, we were talking and she said, here's where your, dis- your discrepancies are showing up is that you've put all of these things into place to battle a deficiency that you anticipate is going to happen. And it's not that there's a discrepancy. It's that you're not used to the behaviors that you're creating for yourself. Yeah. So you put in all these management things that you think you need where you maybe only need 10% of them, but now it's behavior modification that's getting in the way. And that stuff. so it was a lot of that stuff, but uh, it's probably the biggest thing I learned was that in a really long drawn out story. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's, and it's, it's great insight. I mean, especially now with, this situation that we find ourselves in that it wasn't expected. It wasn't anything, you know, really anybody was planned for. And now it's, it's there. And, and what do you do to, to kind of deal with it, to manage it, to work through it and to try to be productive, um, you know, with, with all these, you know, health and safety concerns. So I think different story, different situations, some valuable insight for people though. Having known you for God, 20 years or something like that. Uh, I know you, you're, you're an act active individual to say the least. And you love, you know, love the teaching and the coaching element. How, how hard is this uh, change to kind of how school has done been for you? Uh, there's moments in either way, right? <laughs> so <laughs> um, really rough week last week for me, just emotionally. And I actually, I do a lot with Screencastify. I think you yeah. and I have talked about that app, you know, a computer app we, I use. And I put a lot out to my kids in that way, my students to say, hey, it, you know, look like me, just like this, videotaping it, saying, hey, how's everyone doing? And at one point, I just got to a point last week where it was the shorter week, right? Yeah. Because uh, we, we're still following our, schools, our school calendar. So kids still had Good Friday or Friday off, meaning they didn't get any distance learning that day. Yeah. way we use a modified block. And so Monday schedule was actually a Friday schedule. We were just trying to keep it consistent enough for the kids through at least the end of the quarter. And it was just like, I kind of melt down. I, I was typing something up and I just stopped. And then my wife looked at me, she's like, all right. And I said, no, I'm struggling right now because my biggest strength as an educator is being a big dumb animal. <laughs> I can attest to that. I mean, you're dead on. It's dead on accurate. And it's my boss a couple about eight years ago said, what's, what's your biggest strength? And in one of my year end reviews, she goes, what's your biggest strength? I said, well, my biggest strength is I'm really good in front of kids. Yeah. And that might sound arrogant, but I'm really good in front of kids. Um, I can, I can get them where I need them to be. I can get individuals to step on board. I can kind of feel where kids are in their bubble and when to push and when to pull and when to let them be, when to give them a little nudge, when to throw them like that stuff. She said, what's your biggest weakness? I go, my biggest weakness is I'm really good in front of kids. <laughs> because, I'm, because of that, I, I, have to, I have to make sure I'm, I'm developing even 20 years in, you know, other aspects of prepping and planning and having a more succinct view on things. Um, but because my biggest strength is I'm good in front of kids and I'm a big dumb animal, I believe that 9% of my teaching takes place, at least the, the classroom culture part of it takes place not during instruction and not even during my period, right? It takes place in the hallway. It takes place as the kids are coming in in the morning 
Um, where my office sits in our building is off the student parking lot. So every kid who, who drives to school walks right by my office every morning and yeah. we usually have the door open. I share the office with two other guys and, you know, we're yelling at kids out the door or standing by the door, throwing high fives or just giving kids, you know, a hard time about what they're wearing or the, the interactions yeah. is the hardest part. Right. So I feel like it, and it's, it's become very transactional. Um, and like you said, no one's been prepared for this. No one was prepared for this. And it's like one of my favorite quotes, life's what happens when you're busy making other plans, right? Yep. This just kind of came up and I am really proud of, you know, teachers in general of, and I'm not saying this, I am one, I'm watching the teachers who are servicing my own kids. Um, you know, I know your, your wife's in education, my brother's yep. in education, your, your whole, your family's based in education in the role that teachers have kind of said, Hey, we'll find a way to make this work. Um, so the biggest challenge now is like, it's, it, there's something there and now trying to say, Hey, distance learning and in-class learning aren't the same. Yeah. They're different things. So now it's like, you know, back to that, Hey, I'm really good in front of kids. I need to evolve in other ways. Well, now we're all evolving in other ways and, and we're learning, excuse me, much the same the way our kids are. Yeah. And that's, that's a great point. It's funny, you know, you know, my wife is, as you mentioned, my wife is a teacher and, and I share a lot of conversations, whether email or phone with teachers. And it's amazing just the mentality of we, we know we have a job to, to, to do and we know that it's, it's completely different from what we normally do. And we know we're going to have to put ourselves in the spot of being a student to, to service those kids and do right by the students, uh, you know, that we, that we would normally be in front of this time. So I think with that too, is it's helping Teachers are all control freaks, me included, mm -hmm. right? You don't get to be a teacher and run a room or be a coach and run a practice unless you have a touch of control freak in you. Yep. And I think one of the big things is, is struggling with the, in the conversations I'm having with teachers, even I'm having in some ways is not so much about power, but about how do I get kids to do stuff that I need them to do? How do I empower them versus just require? How do I continue to evolve and to learn, but also to you know, in this time and day and age, like right now in this situation, um, figuring out, you know, I don't know what's going on in your home, Dan, like we're, we're good friends, but I don't, I don't know what's going on in, inside your four walls. I, and it's the same for the students and trying to say, Hey, you know, I believe that my job as an educator is vital and important. I believe that kids are important, but also balancing that against, I know that, I can't just assign massive amounts of work and just say, Hey, I hope it comes back. Yep. But I think that's a struggle, right? Like you walk into my classroom in a physical, I have you for 45, 50 minutes. Boom. You're here. Here's our focus. Here's our content. There's no distractions and the distractions that are there. I can command and control because I control the four inside the four walls. Yep. So I think that's a big struggle for teachers right now, me included. And I think you, you touched on earlier the, the idea of how do we, you know, it's not just here's your list, here's your pack of assignments, get it done. It's empowering them to want to get it done. And, you know, I, this is one of the things I admire about you and why I, I would consider you an absolutely tremendous uh, uh, leader is it start, you start on day one of the school year, on minute one of the school day of fostering this connection with the students and we're finding ourselves in a spot right now where I think your ability to empower your students is going to go back to, well, what relationship did Jim Warnock forge with this group of kids back in September? And I, I think it just strikes a chord to the, the, the importance and the power of 
you know, developing a relationship with those students that goes about above and beyond. I'm your teacher. You're my student. Here's the content. Uh, it's, it's a critical element to teaching and I don't care what subject it is that you are teaching. I appreciate that, Dan. Thank you. And I do agree. I mean, I think that, I think that's part of just my athletic background and, yep. and this isn't a plug because you know how I feel about this, but I think it's part of Springfield college. Um, you know, I ended up there three of my really impactful educators that I had at a, in middle school and high school, my high school coach were Springfield guys, yep. you know, and it goes into like, they don't care about how much, you know, until they know you care or, you know, create a connection before you give correction yep. and those little things. Like, so, you know, and I think that you and I, we talked about this, the textbooks aren't any different anywhere else. I think there's just sometimes a larger collection of, well, big dumb animals. <laughs> I, we both qualify. That's for sure. <laughs> so Springfield college. And again, I, you know, we, we, anytime we're together, it, it happens to find its way into the conversation. You were, I don't know if you were the first person, but you were in the top five people that I met as a freshman in you know, August of you 1998. Were my group? What's you, were, that? you were in my orientation group. You were one of my NSO leaders. Oh. Um, Trish. Me and Trish, right? I don't remember. I don't remember. I know you. I know you were, um, and that's not a knock on Trish. Wherever you are, if you stumble upon <laughs> this somewhere, but uh, I think you were supposed to have a group that year. You did. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> I um, you know, NSO is a big thing. New student orientation at, at Springfield, and and you would go through it as a freshman, and it's you know, it's evolved somewhat, like a lot of things, but you know, it's a lot of dumb songs and games and getting to know people and showing you around campus. But I, I was part of you. We went through this freshman and then you could apply to be part of it. And there was this big application process. And I actually got picked as a freshman receptionist, me and Julie Gibney. Is that, Julie yeah. Hartle, were yeah. Um, freshman receptionists that year. And basically before we had to step back on campus, one of the seniors wasn't coming back to school because of a family emergency. So I got your group. They just took me and said, can you do this? And I said, well, I'll figure it out. Um, so you, that happened, like, literally, you said, yeah, I was, like, one of the first people you met. I got you at, assigned to my group, or I got assigned to your group maybe 12 hours prior to that. <laughs> and it's I, – I don't remember the – and it was a whirlwind going to college, and I think that's – and I was uh, trying to play football at the same time, too, so there was all that going on. But I, I don't remember specifics about it. But I do remember seeing the the first. It was the first sighting of the 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 big dumb animal, and um, I had a a, a a conversation recently with another Springfield grad about you know it's hard to pinpoint like one thing, but just over the course of my time there, it was this mentality that as a forty year old now I look back I'm like yeah I'm like this in front of students right now because of that, that time with Jim Warnock as my NSO leader or my time with, uh, you know, Ted France as a teacher, uh, my time at Outdoor Pursuits going through that type of stuff. And well, for um, me, it was, it was Gunner. Yeah. Was and, yep. Martin, my freshman year. And it was, you know, and I, and I think you just said it perfectly. It, it, now I look back and people look at me like, dude, I play, I still play Giants, Wizards and Elves. In yes, indeed. And I make the kids come up with walk-up routines to the line and, and like I teach them to scream. You, do you do the scream, the kids? Like the noise? Oh, 
Well, like I'll I'll join a group that's losing when I'm facilitating it, and like one team's getting smoked. I'll join. Oh them. yeah. Here's what happens. Whatever we throw, I don't care. As soon as we throw it, you just scream as loud as you can in their face. And it'll pause them long enough for you to make a decision whether you want or not. <laughs> I, uh, I've, t- I've taken the scream a step further where if a team's getting smoked, I'll walk over to the team that has like 40 kids now and say, hey, you know, communication, big challenge, bigger group, you know, and I'll hang in their huddle and figure out what symbol they're doing. And behind my back, I'll, I'll tell the, the team with like with like two kids left. I'll give them the thumbs up if they're being giants. And oh, I'm like, Astros on it? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, no, but back to those moments, right? Like we digress, but like it was looking at people in those roles. And Teddy, I wish I, he wasn't in the phys ed department when I was there. I missed him by a year, right? Yep. Um, and he's now a good friend of mine. And you know, if I could get him to return my phone calls, we'd probably have some great conversations. Uh, but, join that Join that list. <laughs> no, all those guys gave you the freedom to go, this is okay. And almost the permission. Yep. And not so much even permission, like the expectation that if you're going to do this, you're going to bring energy to it. If you're going to do this, you're going to bring an attitude to it that is empowering, that's energetic, that brings people in not pushes people away 100 percent. and if i had to go back to my freshman year it was my interactions with you and i get i can't pinpoint a specific and then um the first time i really saw ted france in action was at outdoor pursuits and there's like i don't know how many hundreds of freshmen that <laughs> are at, form in those moments and, oh my god and he was in his he was in his prime of kind of the group dynamic and the the team building type stuff and I've never seen an individual capture such a large audience without a microphone, without any sort of like dictatorships, you know, screaming and look at me, listen to me. I've never seen a guy suddenly just get everybody. And like you said, bring them in. And those are two moments as if, again, as an adult, I look back and I'm like, geez, that is a special place, special experience. It's so funny you say all this. Cause it's like, if you have to look at like how I, how I control a classroom now. Um, every once in a while, I'll give a whistle or whether it's a, <laughs> a health class or a gym class, sorry, physical education. Uh, <laughs> but no, I have a lot of wait time, just simply like, no, I'm good. I'll wait, you know, and, or like those little things like you're talking about with Teddy that we just got to observe that yeah. like I did, I, it's not authoritative. Um, I say to my kids in my classes pretty quickly, like my job here is to keep you safe physically and emotionally and teach you something. Yep. This is your class, not mine. So you're going to learn to respect each other and take ownership for it. And so I do a lot more stepping back and management and a lot of like stuff like that. Like, I don't even know where I picked it up, but I'm, I'm sure it's through those moments. I, yeah, I would, I, I know like I, there's certain times I'm in when I, and I, I'm, fortunate enough to sometimes find myself in front of the 200 the 400 person groups and I'll, I'll say or do something I'm like oh my god it's it's exactly <laughs> what I saw firsthand <laughs> I just sound like my father <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna stay on this the Springfield College topic right here so you, you played for a guy who you know I would consider one of the best um coach coach Keith Bugby. And then you coached with another guy who I would consider one of the best, John Klopacki. Talk about your experience a little bit, you know, as an athlete playing for Coach Bugby, as a 
young, right out of college coach, coaching with uh, Cleo. Tell us a little bit about that and how would you <laughs> describe some of their differences and how they went about. Well, so they're, they're really different in some ways in, in really, I mean, so John's part of the Springfield family too. And well, yep. let's start with, let's start with Keith. You know, I have such a special, special relationship with coach Bugby even to this day. You know, we've been texting back and forth over the last couple of days and setting up a time for us to talk. Um, we probably talk at least once, twice a month. I, yeah. I mean, and I've been out since 2001. Um, and there's some stuff that brought that relationship to a front. Uh, but, you know, Coach is the most mild-mannered, big-hearted, good guy, you know, I've ever met. I think as a player, I he yelled at me one time, and I really deserved it. Um, yeah. Talking back to a coach, wasn't him. It was an assistant coach, but it was really tough playing for him at points because he's not this master statistician per se. And that's not me insulting his knowledge of the game. Um, he's not, you know, this guy who's gonna call a timeout and put in the winning play in the last second of a game. Um, coach is going to care about his kids. He's going to empower them to play for each other a lot of the stuff that we're talking about. And as a college athlete, I, you know, at, at points, I think he guys that I played with and me included and gave him, you know, a, a mislabeling. Um, and because of the relationship that he and I have, it, it's unbelievable. He's, he's a close thing to a second father uh, yep. as, as I could have. And I hope this doesn't come across as me thinking like, Hey, you know, he doesn't understand what's going on in the game. That's not it at all. I mean, this guy there, there, Dan, this is a phenomenal stat. He won like his, his 400th game yep. last spring. There's only five guys in the history of the game to win 400 games at the collegiate level, right? And you're talking about guys like Bill Tierney, who was at Princeton, now at the University of Denver, who like at the U.S. Lacrosse facility in Maryland, the field's named after. You know, you're talking about these Division One mainstays, like guys who go way back, um, and and Keith Bugby. Yep. And – Coach is the only guy to win 400 games at the same school. So you talk about, you know, connection to a community and to a culture and to the people and to what it stands for. It was funny. I was at a game a couple of years ago watching uh, my high school – with my high school coach, watching his son play, who was playing for Springfield. Um, and on that team that we were watching, there was three kids whose fathers all played for Coach Kidd. <laughs> says a lot. It says, it says a lot. Um, it says a lot that, you know, I got hit by the car and coach lives in Granby, Connecticut, and I'm in Hartford Hospital. And he is, he is, uh, he's in my, ho my hospital room every night, just yeah. checking on me. You know, and then I, he had some, some family stuff go on in the last couple of years and, and I was able to support him like so many Springfield guys did. And, and I think that's the biggest thing. You know, he has this really mild mannered way about him, this incredible dad and husband and um, man of faith. And, um, you know, so it was, it was that, I, I, it was so funny because you're always, when you play, go to college, right? You go to college and you get to the next officer, same thing when you get to Springfield and some of the football guys you were around in the beginning, yeah. they were like, you're ready to move to that next level. And you're like, I was so intense about this in high school that it, we're moving up a level. And it's almost like the coaching intensity stayed right about the same coach. Wasn't a big rah, rah guy. Yeah. Like, you ever known him to be a big rah, rah guy. That wasn't his thing. No, he did it. You motivate yourself. You shouldn't be here. The most I saw him rah-rah was in his uh, – he taught the outdoor adventure course. And, and, like, when someone got to the top of an element was, like, 
more emotion than what, you know, not more emotion, but just a different type of rah-rah than, than I saw him when he would coach lacrosse. Yep. Yep. And, and that was kind of him, you know, I mean, it still is him. And it's, I love, you know, every, every semester I usually will end up on campus for a yep. day where I don't have to be in school and we'll grab lunch and I'll just check in. And um, he asked me to come and speak with his team a little bit here and there about stuff. I speak in his principles and problems of coaching class. Yep. He's it. He's, you know, it, it, you never really understood. He's kind of salt to the earth. It, it really is, I think, the best way to put it. Um, and not to say like he's a pushover. The guy's got this really quietly intense competitive drive. And I, and I think that's one of the things that you don't really see until you get to know him mm-hmm. really well is that how much of a competitive drive there is, unless you played racquetball with him because you. <laughs> He's brutally good at it, um, and he'll hit you with shots repeatedly if you get in his way. Um, and that's kind of that's kind of coach, you know. He's just a, he's an incredible role model and father figure to so many. Uh, and then I had the opportunity, like I said, for John Kopaki. And my first, you talk about first interactions. My first interaction with John Kopaki is I'm going into my senior year at, in high school, playing on a lacrosse team of there was no club ball at this point for like high school kids, AAU stuff. So I'm playing on a men's league team, which is all post-collegiate guys. We're playing in a tournament on block Island and I am deed up against, I'm playing attack. I have this guy playing DME who is a monster. He is like one of the biggest, most physical guys I've ever seen. And I am like cheating out of control. I'm like putting my thumb on the ball. I'm pinning it to my chest because anytime I take it away from my chest, I have no idea who this guy is. Turns out to be a guy, Keith Flanagan, who was like a three-time All-American and defenseman of the year at Springfield. And the team we're playing is a bunch of Springfield guys. So this guy's yelling at the ref, yelling at me. Like I'm like a rag doll. You know, I'm at this point like 5'10", 180 pounds, and he's just tossing me around the field. So at halftime, I come walking out in the field. I'm waiting for the second half to start, and this guy starts talking to me. And it's not this other guy, the big guy who beat me up. It's this other guy's playing DM me, and he's like, "Yes, where are you from? And where, where are you going to school?" And and it was it was Cleo. Yeah. Um, I'm like, oh, I think I'm gonna end up going to play at Springfield College, and and then it just started where all of these guys on the whole team were Springfield guys, and that was kind of one of my indoctrinations into Springfield lacrosse. Like I still hadn't even started my senior year of high school. That's unbelievable. Like after the game, they're all like, you're Springfield? And they're, they're telling me stories. And um, So fast forward, I get there, and I'm there for three, two years, and then Cleo comes back to coach. He had been at Oleana State. So my junior and senior year, I coach and, and John together. You know, I, while I say they're opposites, no, um, they're very different, but very much the same. And, and their whole view is, you know, how do I – create an opportunity and a culture that creates young men who are going to go out and and impact the world in a positive way, you know? And and I think they're both, they have very different styles in that, but they're both very, very aligned in that thought. Um, For example, like with all the COVID COVID-19 stuff and the NCAA fifth year stuff, I was actually talking to Cleo a couple of weeks ago. He said, "Hey, I just saw the NCAA gave the fifth year waivers. To, you know, any of your seniors taking a, taking part of that?" He goes, "No." Uh, he goes, "Well, one maybe." He goes, "The other five, I told him if they come back, I'd cut them." And I'm like, "Cut them?" And he's like, "They all they all are going to graduate. They have jobs lined up." He goes, "I had to sit them and their families down in, in a conference call with each family and say, you came here to get an education to get a job.' Like, I love lacrosse and I love you guys." 
but you've achieved what you need to achieve and it's time for you to not pass up the next step and a great opportunity to come back and play a sport. That's, that's not what it's about. You know, you've come here. I don't want to see it. I will never want it to end this way, but they all come to an end at some point and you've achieved what, why you came here. Like you worked hard you played hard, you competed hard, but you studied hard. And he goes, you know, five of the six, he goes, one of them probably is going to come back and play, but he was, he goes, he was a kid who had a, an injury and had to, was coming back anyways to finish up coursework. He goes, but the other guys are, are going to go out and they're going to start their professional career. And that says a lot right in that moment to say, Hey, I could bring back my seniors. You know, we're talking about three of these kids are, are all Americans, yep. you know, impact kids at a division three level um, to say, no guys, it's, it's time you, it's time for you to take the next step in. And not saying, hey, well, if you come back, we're going to be better next year. And that proves that, that same sentiment about, like, hey, giving kids a scenario and an, an experience that allows them to grow and be there. Uh, Cleo is – he's much more of a tough love guy. He's, uh, he's someone that I kind of – it was so funny, dude. I got – so when I left – I ended up at Sullington High teaching there after my first stop at Wenning. Um, Cleo's a Sullington grad. So that's kind of how I ended up there. And I ended up working and he's still one of my mentors and best friends today is this guy, Jim Gleason, who was Cleo's high school coach oh, in football and lacrosse. Yeah. So I end up with this really weird triangle of mentorship um, and kind of see it where you can then, you know, you go back and go, Oh, here's how things connect. Yeah. And so John's much more along those lines. He's much more direct right up front and, you know, it's so hard to compare people like this because you always feel like, well, if this guy's up front that this guy's kind of, you know, and that's not what I'm saying about coach. Cleo's just much more, you know, exactly. Like <laughs> he's going to tell you straight up. Um, he's also going to work so incredibly hard. Uh, I think that's what made him easy to play for. He's my defensive coordinator for two years. Um, and I wasn't allowed to play defense, even though <laughs> I was a midfielder. It was like, just get off the field as fast as possible. Um <laughs> But as a, as a player, you looked at him and you said, I can work for this guy because I, I know how hard he works for us. Yeah. And then as an assistant coach, it was so easy to work with him in those ways. My wife used to be like, what does he do to you guys that you will not say no to him? And I'm like, what? And she's like, no. I go, well, it's kind of a Springfield thing. It's kind of a loyalty thing. Um, and no one's working harder than, than John. Yeah. So when he asked you to – do something extra. You're like, yeah, man, I got it. Like, you know, he's, he's one of the, the hardest working dudes I've ever been around. Like he loves the grind. It is so funny. Like Dan Citrone and Brad Jorgensen, do those names ring any, any bells for you? They don't No. Brad Jorgensen, Dan Citrone, Sean Quirk, all those guys are like play with Cleo at Springfield. And when I said earlier in the conversation about the guys who mentored me, or I had the chance to really watch as they started their young coaching careers were these guys. So, you know, Sean's the assistant athletic director at Endicott college and the head coach of the Boston Cannons. Now yep. Danny Citrone was uh, the men's lacrosse coach in AD at Greensboro college for like, you know, 15 years. He, he left education to go into the private sector. Brad Jorgensen is an assistant athletic director in men's lacrosse, go to St. at St. Leo's in Tampa, Florida. Okay. You know, you got guys like Jason Miller, who is the yep. head coach at St. John's. And these are all guys that, like, I knew and grew up in college around. They were mentors and coaches. And, you know, Brad was actually at Wheaton. We played against him. 
Yeah. I never played with Brad except in tournaments. But I remember sitting down with Brad at one point and being like, what, he's like, what do you think? I don't know if I can do the college coaching thing. And he's like, well, you got to understand that Cleo's kind of a freak. <laughs> like, he goes, I've never met anyone who grinds it out the way that guy does. And that's what made Cleo so easy to work with. Not, I, not work with, work for. Yeah. <laughs> um, because, you know, it's it just what it was. I mean, I learned so much from John about being a parent, about being a teacher, about being a coach, about you just grind it out. You get through this. You keep going. You keep going about people. And you keep going. You do what's best for the group, and you keep going. And you know, that's um, a really, really positive thing. He's always looking to develop in there by his team in some way. And um, So, yeah, I mean, there's a ton of stuff I learned from both of those guys. Like I said, for Bugby, it was – it was so funny. We just like this yay, rah, rah, Springfield kind of Ted France mentality. Urgy. Then coach isn't that. Yep. Coach Bug was not that. So he was kind of like this, this not lone wolf, but kind of just this quiet influencer. And, you know, and, and John was more of that energetic, hey, we're going to go get this. Um, both of those things have been, you know, both parts of that to make up my style. Very, 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 very powerful. Absolutely. And uh, I had a little bit of experience. I think Cleo spent a couple of years on, uh, as a uh, assistant coach in the football program. And I think so did Jason Miller. Cleo definitely had that like linebacker D line coach. Was he, uh, he went, actually went to Springfield to play football. Yeah. Play. He was a piece of work too. Uh, great sense of, you know, uh, my brother Greg and I worked with a lot of those guys during the summer at the office of special programs. And, uh, those two or three summers working at Special P absolutely shaped my uh, <laughs> <laughs> shaped me as well. Those guys were awesome, and it was all it was that crew it was you know Cleo, uh, uh, Gatos, Ross. and Eric Gould. Yeah, well, uh, you early group. Yeah, Ross was there too, right? Say it again. Ryan Frost there. He should have Fro- been there. Yeah, uh, Frost, uh, Barnacle, uh, uh, Landry, Stork. Yeah, uh, Jeremy Platt. Waterford now and. Yep. So. Um, so yeah, a lot of, you know, didn't play lacrosse, but a lot of shared experiences with those guys for sure. So you have a unique experience of, you know, playing obviously at the high school and college level. And then, um, you know, a lot of the tournaments that are involved in lacrosse coaching at the high school, college level, and even at the youth level. Um, if you had to give, you know, a bit of uh, one kind of a, a one liner of advice to a high school athlete who's looking to make that jump, uh, regardless of the sport, what's uh, what's the the drop of wisdom from Jim Jim Warnock here? So the change from like high school to college? Yeah, just something something that a high school athlete should be prepared for uh, if they have aspirations of playing at the next level. Be a great mate, um, and then I think that kind of isn't like a one line thing because I I spent a lot of time talking to my sons about this and that coach now about it who are eleven, um, and uh, it's. You know, good teammates care, good teammates share, and good teammates listen. And if you can do those things, um, you care for others, you care for their experience, prepare yourself accordingly. Um, you share the boat, you share your talents, you share your energy, um, you know, with others. And good teammates listen. You listen to the coaches, you listen to your teammates, you listen to your teachers and parents. And and if you do those things, like um, – I forget the name of the book. Great. It's, it's actually a book I just read. I, I'll forward you at some point 
when we got off. Um, actually, I can look it up on my phone real quick, but it, it's a great – it's written by a former college – Division three college basketball coach. Okay. And it's kind of – you know, you're always looking to have, like, these traumatic ways of of saying stuff to kids. Um, and then you just find something that's so simple that you just – you know, you credit them and you move on and you make it yours. Yeah. It's called Building Good Teammates by Lance Loyal. And care, share, and listen. Love it. Love it. Simple concept, but uh, if you if you practice it every day, it makes a huge impact. Um, biggest difference between Coach Warnock and Teacher Mr. Warnock? <laughs> <laughs> Besides uh, the language that you use. Yeah, it depends on the level, right? Uh, <laughs> and dude, that's a real fluid thing right now for me. Um, early on in my career, there was a really big difference. And it was a little bit of immaturity on my part um, and not intentional maturity, but just not having life experience, not yep. having the chance to get it, not having the chance to develop. Right. So I think that you, you, you do whatever you do, you play sport, you major in whatever you get out of school and you're like, I have all this knowledge. I got all of this stuff that I'm going to do and I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. And I'm going to show what I can do. And, and there's, a lot of I statements, right? Yeah. Um, so early on in my career, I always loved the kids I, I've coached, but I think the maturation process or the growth process is before there was a big gap between Mr. Warnock and Warnock in reference to just the intensity. Yeah. And, you know, the kind of the in your face, here we go, we're going to do this versus, all right, let's start class. Um, and I will say that over the years, that is – especially now come to look very much the same or become one of my goals for it to be very much the same because I like access C, but you know, it, it's an extracurricular activity or co-curricular, yeah. not extra. Right. Yeah. So we learn on the field. We learn in the classroom. We learn on the job site. We do all of those things. So I've actually through that point where we get out of school, we're doing what we're doing professionally. And then we realize that, we really don't know much. Um, and then we got to kind of go back to that whole concept of, of, of relearning. Yep. Um, you know, and that's been, that's been one of the great people that I've come to connect with actually through Cleo. So I have to keep circling back, but early on you said, what was one of the biggest struggles post the brain surgery stuff? And, uh, you know, I was actually on the phone with Cleo and I said, dude, you know, he's like, what's up? I'm like, just touching base. He's like, sounds like you got something to say. And I'm like, I don't really know what I got to say. I, I don't, I don't got much. I just in a weird spot. And he goes, you got to call coach brew. So brew, um, motivational speaker, ISI guy was actually the head coach for at the main maritime, uh, Academy when I was playing at Springfield and they were in conference. Yep. Um, and I called coach brew and, and we ended up just kind of talking a couple times and, um, realizing that guys like you and I are people who are out in doing whatever they do in leadership modes. Very rarely it didn't happen without some, some sort of formative coaching It's yep. not necessarily sport coaching. It could have been band. It could have been choral spectrum. It could have been whatever. Right. Um, and I was at that point in my life where I wasn't coaching anything at that point. I couldn't, I mean, I had a three-year-old son and a 10-month-old son, and I couldn't lift anything heavier than a coffee cup yeah. with the instructions, right? So it's like I wasn't obviously running around a field or coaching kids. And Coach Brew just said, Jim, guys like us, we need coaches. 
Um, and he writes a couple really great books. They're short. Some of them are parables. Um, and he's like, one of them is about like just building your own board of directors. Right. So I get out, I go through all that. I figure out, Hey, you know what? I need to figure some stuff out. And because of that, I reached out to all these guys just to pick their brains um, to say, Hey, and one of the first stops was, well, actually two of the first three stops outside of being one of them being a, you know, post-accident, our, our pastor who married yep. us being John Kopacki and Keith Bugby. Um, you know, so, and it was just reestablishing that and really getting back to, in both of those cases, the way Coach and, and Keith are alike is there's not a whole lot of difference between them. As much of Cleo is Cleo on game day, he's the most calm, not relaxed. He's not relaxed, but he's calm. It's status quo. And Coach, she coaches probably a little bit more fired up on game days than, than John, you know, visually, but it was their guys who there isn't a difference between Mr. Kopaki and coach Kopaki. Like, yeah. It's a consistency across the board. So in the last several years, it's really pushed me more towards that, especially taking a break from coaching and then coaching my sons. Yeah, I've really liked that as well. Yep. And it's, I mean, so many great points brought up there. And one of the, one of the things that, that came up a couple of times was just the, with coach Bugby, the, the, consistency of freaking doing something exceptionally well for God knows how many years to get to a point where he's, you know, is, is he the only D three coach on that list? Yeah. A 400 plus, And he's the only got to do it, you know, at well, one some place. Of those guys, I mean, some of those guys won games as D three coaches and then elevated the ranks. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure he's the only guy I'd have to look at the list again. He's the only guy who's been a career D three. Yeah. Um, so just the consistent, I mean, it's easy and it's not easy, but any, uh, most people can do something, you know, exceptionally well one or two times, but it, it takes somebody tremendous to do it year in, year out, practice in practice out, uh, recruiting class, et cetera. And then with coach Cleo, it, it, I think it just highlights, you know, the, the personality and the voice might be different in certain elements and certain times, but you know, at the end of the day, it's about that grind. It's about that hustle. It's, it's, it's a hell of a lot easier to ask somebody to do something for the team, for the unit, when they know you're not asking them to do anything that you haven't done yourself. <laughs> That's him. Yeah. He'd be calling me going, Hey, I know you weren't going to go out recruiting tomorrow. Um, but I'm stuck in New Jersey because my car broke down. I was driving back at two in the morning to get yeah. to the event, you know, out in you know western mass but i'm stuck Can, yeah i'll go get it yeah like yep. and that's just that was him in such a controlled controlled passion i think is the best way to say you know one one of cleo's characteristics but yeah, I, I absolutely think warnock coach warnock is much more um you know early in my career i was i was quick to bark yeah quick to challenge quick to do that all thinking that it was what's best for the kid and I'm motivating him and then realizing over time that like, you know, it's instant response versus the gradual right response, mm -hmm. you know? So more of a, you know, connection before correction type stuff, like yep. continue to build, continue to believe, continue to value and continue to teach. And just uh, just talked with a, a, a college coach of the University of New Haven women's soccer coach, and she said the same thing. I, she did, you know, I asked her to describe 
her, you know, her style. And she meant, yeah, I'm not really a yeller, you know, uh, for me, it's, I'd rather have the conversation with an athlete as to like, Hey, a mistake happened. What were you thinking? Why did the mistake happen? And then, you know, that a little bit more gradual process of, of identifying the why and then providing the coaching and the leadership to help them fix the behavior that led to the mistake. And I, I think that, um, you know, sometimes that bark, that quick bark might get an immediate response, but for the long term, it's, I don't, I don't think that's the right solution with a lot of athletes. I think that my, my bark actually, I still have it. Um, I actually broke it out in the classroom a couple of times. <laughs> but that happens in reference to a disrespect issue. Yeah. Uh, crossing a line and, you know, teach, teach a lot of sophomores and then sophomore yeah. behavior for a reason. Right? So <laughs> a little bit of a, whoa, uh-uh. Yeah. you need to step in the hallway and we'll talk in a second. Um, and the bark now that I bring to the playing field is more of the bark that I have always had in the classroom. Yeah. Um, and to say, you know, but for some reason, once you put in that com- group competitiveness on the field, that's not present in the classroom. There's like this shift in people. Oh, uh, freaking ramps everything up. Right. And trying yeah. to find that way to keep those two things consistent in that and to say that like, Hey, you know, and, and then I think just the, the maturity that comes with just being, you know, with each trip we take around that, that floating ball of fire, <laughs> like <laughs> put stuff up and kind of go, Hey, you know, there's why, why are we doing this? Like, yep. why, why are we all here to play this game, to practice this, whatever game it is, what's our overall end goal? It's funny, dude, I found out my principles and problems of coaching, coaching philosophy the week before the school, the school shutdowns yeah. um, in a folder. Uh, I was just trying to straighten stuff up, knowing that we were shutting down and I was probably going to come and make sure like when I, if I left my desk, whatever. And I found it and it was, it was hilarious to read because it was awfully written. <laughs> um, um, but I will say while things have evolved, the basic tenants kind of have held true. Yeah. The delivery methods have changed, but um it was a, it was a trip to read again. That's, yeah, that's, I, I still have quite a few of those notebooks and it is funny to knock the dust off and take a look at them to see where the, where the mind was at as a 19, 20 year old who had an idea what they were going to do, but uh, maybe you doing go, something a little bit differently. <laughs> you go into that difference between coach and, and teacher. You know, I remember thinking and having a really hard time when my oldest son started to play sports and played for the first time with, for a coach that had a really rough delivery Yeah. and flashing back in my head to, you know, and you and I've talked about this. I'm not a fun guy to be around. <laughs> if, I'm, if, if like I'm walking by a, a youth soccer practice, my wife was always giving me a hard time about it. I'm like, there's like 12 kids in one ball. What are they doing? <laughs> um, and watching this guy kind of bark at my son and not talk about the why and not build him up with confidence to help him overcome, not paying any attention to the one to five ratio yeah. right? and to any of those things, you know, the one to five being, you know, one negative to five positives for most kids in some way. Um, I flash back to my years coaching, <laughs> like how did I answer those questions. Um, 
you know, it kind of brings you all back in those ways where you're like, ah. but it is that <laughs> what the soccer coach from the CCSU said, you know, identify the why and then have a consistent model and belief in why you do what you do. Yeah, I do think it's vital that everyone who's coaching, regardless of if you're coaching, you know, seven-year-old t-ball to the, the major leagues, that you have a, a coaching philosophy that you've put on paper. Yeah. Uh, even if it's just on a you know a piece of notebook paper, crayon, like write it down. Yeah. And have an idea of what it looks like, and that was a like you said, it was cool to come across that. <laughs> Absolutely. So often again, and this I'll, I'll talk specifically just about my work with empower and we work with a lot of different schools and a lot of different uh, corporations and, you know, team leaders or teachers. And I find it's so easy for us to dedicate a lot of our focus and energy on the, you know, maybe the 80 to 85% of the children or the athletes are the employees who struggle and, you know, maybe, you know, just aren't, aren't exceptional, but they're, they're solid. And, and we dedicate so little of our, our time and energy on like the, the five, 10 percenters, like those, you know, in your instance, those high school students that you can, you can look at right now and say like, God, this, this one is going to just go on and do something extremely well. They're going to crush whatever they're going to get into doing. Um, give us an example and you can name a student or just, you know, um, or just, you know, highlight without name, but give us an example of a, a student you've recently crossed paths with that you had that feeling when you were in the same room with them. What do you mean? That they were just going to be just rock stars? Like just success. Yeah. They're like what they're doing right now. They, they don't necessarily have to be like the, the smartest one in the building, but just like when you, when you see them operate, whether it's in a, the phys ed class or just in the hallways, like this kid's got it. They're going to go out and do something freaking extremely well, whatever it is. I don't, I don't know if I've, I, I've seen moments from kids in, in different ways. I think one of the hardest things as a high school teacher, um, or just, I, I guess it's not even as a high school teacher, I'd say it's in any walk of life. Like to me, my, my thoughts on a kid who's truly going to crush it in life have really evolved. So um, as a high school teacher, we see kids in our given subject area yep. and that's it. And I can't tell you how many times I walk into a PPT, um, and, you know, big meeting, kids there, all their teachers, administrator, any special needs service people, guidance counselor, school counseling, school psychologist, and then go around the table and have people go, well, Dan's struggling in Spanish. Dan's not very doing very well in math. And me go, Dan's the best. I want 25 Dan's in the gym at any given time. Um, Dan, you're my man. <laughs> And that's legitimately how, I, like how I'd say that the people laugh at me now. Um, but my point being is we see kids in such segmented populations. Yeah. And, and I think it's the same way in, in business. Um, I, I work for our company sporting apparel as a side job, um, you know, which has a lot of former college athletes being with them. It's a small company out of Maine, but it's, I mean, we're selling sporting apparel. So you're tag tapping into your, your, you're networking. So it's a lot of former athletes. Um, but you see guys who might be incredible salesmen, but are struggling in other places. So for me, I think my, my evaluation is like, Hey, who's going to be able to best handle the situation we're dealing with right now? What are those skills? What are the soft skills that we talk about? Like when you're doing all your group stuff that I've seen you do, um, 
you know, what, what are you looking for? You know, I'm, I'm looking for, you know, a kid who's got a quiet confidence and a humility, a kid who can, can show that there, there's empathy and can demonstrate that. Um, a kid who's got a competitive fire, yep. um, you know, and it's so, I think it's so hard today to identify that in kids across the board because, you know, we talk about every generation says, well, God, these kids today, like, whatever. I know I don't want to be a teenager in today's world. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to manage what these kids have to manage. And a large part of their life is like almost like brand management and knowing for you and I, it was like, we go to school. If I don't go to school, like I stay home sick, like, you know, quarantine stuff, like 95% of the kids I saw on a daily basis in from, and I went to school in Summers, Connecticut. There was 380 kids in the whole high school when I graduated. So I was with these kids from K to 12. Yeah. But when the last day of school, like June 12th came around, 95% of those, those kids, even though the town's 28 square miles, I probably wasn't going to interact with them until September. Yeah. It was summer. So now these kids are really connected. Like if this quarantine happened 35 years ago, we'd be losing our mind. Yes. Right. Like you'd still be like conference sharing and uh, on the dial up phone and people <laughs> awful. So in reference to that, I, I think these kids are managing like different things and looking. So I think it's a matter of you. See, I see moments, you know, I have a girl who's actually in a freshman health class this past fall, who just had a way about her who, when I run my unified sports program, I actively recruit kids to take it. She's yep. a kid who targeted to say, Hey, I like the way you carry yourself. I like the way you talk to each other, uh, to other people. I like the fact that you sat next to a, a student who struggles in class and always fails to bring something. And you're the first person to be like, here's a pencil. Here's a charger for your Chromebook. Here's this, like, you know, so it's those, you know, I want to see, it's not about it's because I'm not that intelligent, but it's not yeah. about intelligence. It's about, you know, can you with others, can you, can you care for others? So those are kind of the soft skills I'm looking for. If that, I know it doesn't give you one kid per se that you were looking for, but it's, so I try to get out and do as many things, go to games, go to concerts, go to, you know, a drama club play and see kids in different environments because a lot of times a kid who, like I said, is, is awesome in my class just struggling everywhere else yep. um and a lot of times the kids who struggle in my class with some of the skills if it's a phys ed class are crushing stuff and everywhere else so it's finding yep. that that well-rounded level kid i guess that's what i'm looking for is a kid who's going to be well-rounded and be able to do multiple things and not be kind of a trick one and I think, I mean, you mentioned the word, the, the, soft, the phrase soft skills, and it's something I use a lot. And I, I again, I, I can't remember the, the author of the, the article, um, but I came across it probably, you know, three, four months ago where it, the, the title of the article is stop calling them soft skills. Let's call them essential I the, skills. I know the exact one. I got to find it. I, I glanced um, at it too. I, I highlighted parts of it, but I didn't get to reading it all. Yeah, it was, it, you know, pretty, pretty quick read, but I, you know, I think, you know, one of the things because I see students and athletes and, and, and employees in a completely different environment from their normal, like nine to five. And, you know, I think, you know, being nice to somebody else, it might not give you better grades in Spanish, but it'll make you a better Spanish student. Uh, it'll make you a better athlete, uh, being you know, mentally tough and having that grinded out mentality 
it might not make you smarter, but, but it'll, you'll be a little bit of a better student in, in, in any class. You'll be a better employee with that, that skill set. So um, it's one of the things that I, I've tried to relearn how to say it because they are, they're essential skills, like being on time, being prepared, being dressed the way you're supposed to be dressed, uh, you yep. know, lending a hand when someone needs help. It's so funny, like these conversations that we have. And, and at times, I know like you and I will connect and be like, dude, I need to talk to someone who I knew was going to have a similar mindset as mine because I'm ready to like lose it over here. <laughs> um, but it, it is those things for me. It is, you know, if you look at, I have three rules for my boys. And the first one is do your best no matter what. Grind out, work hard, do that. Yeah. Matter what, no matter what, what the scenario, do it. The second one is, the golden rule, right? Treat others the way you want to be treated. You know, be caring, be empathetic, hold doors for people, say please, say thank you. The simple, and, and you and I were educated. Like for me, my first real education came once I got to college. I, I was oh, not yeah. ready to learn in high school. I was there to play sports. I was, and that was it. It was just stay eligible, don't get in trouble. Yeah. Um, it wasn't about processing information. So my learning window really happened later. And when I got to Springfield, it was like, okay, here, here it all is. And we were trained in a world of, of observation. And we keep coming back to like, it's not going to make me, it's not going to make me, well, that might not help you academically. Well, then, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of different abilities that we all need to have because we operate in a world of, is it observable? Yeah. Right. So it's like, do your best no matter what, treat others the way you want to be treated. And, and the third rule is, I love you, which yeah. no matter what, which means you messed up one or two somewhere. Yeah. Right? So you look at it and go, well, what are, and there's not a single academic skill associated with any one of my first two rules. They're all people skills. They're all the stuff that both my wife and I want our boys to be able to, uh, as human beings. Yeah. Um, you know, I've actually, I've actually said in parent teacher conferences, like, yeah, I don't want to be disrespectful to you as a teacher. I'm a teacher too, but I don't really care about his scores. <laughs> scores are scores. We'll fix those. We'll work on them. We'll take care of them. Like, is he a nice kid? people does he say thank you does he he might dig ditches he might you know repair cars and you know what that's a really noble profession and i don't know how to do that so i pay someone a lot of money to take care of our vehicles and yeah. i the person i go to i go to because i because he's honest because he shakes my hand because he answers questions respectfully because so i don't care you know whatever it is you know it was funny after my brain surgery a little over a year and a half uh, two years later, my dad fell. Yeah. We live next door to my parents. He fell and ended up with a brain bleed. And, um, you know, it allowed, he ended up having to have his, his cranial cavity drained several times. It was oh. pretty pressure drain. His legs didn't work. They didn't know what it was, but long story short, he ends up dealing with all these doctors and he has a very hard time with some doctors. And he has one doctor that he will do whatever that doctor says to do in it. And it's an orthopedic guy, Dan, <laughs> talk about neurology guy. So at one point I had to call the orthopedic guy to say, doc, listen, can you just call my dad and say, Herb, here's what you need to do. You need to go here. You need to ask this question and you need to listen to the answer they get. Cause my dad needed coaching. Yeah. Like we all do. Right. But it was the doctor that he valued was a doctor who was like our mechanic. And those are the skills that I don't even like, they're more important than, you know, that. And I think the biggest thing that I teach now in classes and in anything is just the growth mentality that, it's not a fixed a, a commodity. You can get better at whatever you want, you know, 
to a point, obviously I'm never going to be like a center in the NBA. Of course, uh, of course. <laughs> you know, so, and that comes with just being flexible. And I think that's what the growth mentality teaches. But I agree with you wholeheartedly, like finding ways to teach these things that, I mean, what happens after this quarantine? What happens if kids turn out more well-adjusted, you know, turn out like, maybe we need to really look at, you know, what are we doing that we need to keep that we've been doing and what needs to evolve in education um, and, and how we go about it. You know, there's a great book if you want to read it called Dark Horse. It'll get your wheels turning on stuff like this. <laughs> and it's all about those bright spots. So when you talk about, you let in the question saying like, we pay attention to like the 85 who need help or this. And we were taught, right? Teach to the middle 60. Of course. Push yep. the top 20, pull the bottom 20, teach to the middle 60. Yep. And Dark Horse is all about that dark horse, that guy who didn't like, and not Bill Gates. Bill Gates was not a dark horse. You know, the dude grew up in situations. If you ever, one of my favorite authors is Malcolm Gladwell. Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell, awesome. But Bill Gates had access to computers and all this stuff early on in life. Like, it wasn't a matter of whether or not he was going to end up in technology. It was just when yep. he did it earlier. Yeah. Um, but when you leave Harvard to start your own business, you're not exactly struggling per se, right? Like yeah. you're not a kid who's, you know, at Middlesex Community College working double shifts somewhere else. It's different yeah. uh, in, my, in my opinion. Well, Dark Horse is more about that. People who are total enigmas, like this woman who was a high school dropout who ends up living on like this remote mountain village in Hawaii at one point and falls in love with looking at the stars. No high school degree, no college degree, ends up becoming like this astrology wonder, building massive amounts of stuff out of homemade, like people, big 10 schools are flying her in yearly to present to their professors, like that, that type of stuff. So like the not traditional path stuff, you just kind of look at it and go, well, you know, what is it? What, then what are we doing? Like, is this built in a way where, you know, what, how is this going to change what we do? And what if kids come out of this with, you know, more well-adjusted with more profound passions have been able to say, Hey, I don't need to sit at a table and do work or at a desk and do work for seven periods a day. I got to sit down and really dive into how much I really want to learn about film editing. Yep. Yep. You know, so Dude, you and I talked. When did you start these podcasts? A uh, <laughs> month ago. Yeah, two months ago. Yeah. Podcasts were not something you're like, I'm going to do that. Yeah. We'll get the learning, right? So. And I think that that's, it's been a recurring theme with anybody I've talked to is, yep, this situation is, is a change up. It's, it's, there's people on the, you know, in, the, in the, the health field that are, that are on the front lines battling something and they're walking into, you know, possible danger every day. Um, but coming back from this, you know, I, I think everybody's going to be, uh, everybody's going to come out of this with a, a different experience and it, and it might not be learning a new skill. It might just be, you know what? I'm more comfortable now saying what I, you know, that I'm struggling with something and kind of admitting that and talking to people about that. So I can, I can come back from it or I'll challenge you, Dan, and saying that is a skill. Oh, I agree. Right. So like, I agree. We go to those essential skills and you know, um, I kind of, one of the things I learned the most about and like, is just being a dad. Yep. And I, I like to think I'm pretty well equipped. Um, I have two degrees in education and, you know, I have a fan, I outkicked my coverage in the marriage department, and, 
we were so lucky in that we live in the, the town I grew up in, but we also live next door to my parents. Like, I have this incredible support network. And, you know, that was a conversation that I think we had with an 11 year old a little over an hour and a half ago about his frustrations with distance learning. Yep. About like, hey, how do we pump the brakes? Go take a shower. What do you need to do? How do you express that you're frustrated before that snowball gets rolling downhill and it's too big to stop? Yeah. Now, and all the stuff that we talk about when we facilitate groups, you do it so much more than I do, but I talk about this all the time. And, yep. and 90, I, I was making a joke with actually my director of counseling on the phone the other day, because I, I, we're such people, people, I got to reach out to the people I work with just to see how they're doing. That's right. They feel better myself. But, um, you know, it, it was saying like, I'm less of a phys ed teacher and more of a life coach. And saying like, hey, we can do this. Hey, when is stuff starting to break down for you? Where, where are we? Where are there gaps? Where, where do you? And those are the things of re-identifying. So like you saying that point about, you know, identifying like, hey, I'm struggling right now, and how do I verbalize that? And then how do I access the the avenues to support myself for that? Yep. That's not just uh, a skill, but you know that that's a life skill, and that's a a lifespan skill, not like it's something I need to do when I'm a teenager. Um, no, this is a lifelong thing. Yep. When this is all said and done and, and it's kind of back to quote unquote normal, you and I have said the word experience or experiences probably 10,000 times in the past hour or so. And these students who don't have a ton of life experience are going to walk away from this and be able to draw back on it a year from now, two years from now, 10 years from now to say, you know, this is how I handle this tough situation back in 2020. I'm equipped for this next one because of it. And I, I think it's a, you know, it's a valuable life experience about overcoming adversity and, and making the adjustments and the adaptations to you know, continue to move the ball forward and, and be productive well, each day. It was one of those things that like you were a senior, right? In, in 2001? Uh, yes. I'm on the move right now. Um, so like I haven't heard people interact and care about each other this way since then, yep. right? Since those moments when all of that went down and that's been one of the things that you just get really, I get really excited to see. Um, and I was so funny before all the school shutdowns, I was sitting in my office, got an email, had to run to my boss's office. I found him in his secretary's office and we're having a quick conversation about everything that's happening. And I was like, you know what? Well, there's some really good opportunity that could come from all this. And they both looked at me like I had seven heads. Yeah. And I was just like, you know what? This might be the social forest fire that we need. And, and I'm not being a conspiracy theorist here. Like, no. none of, I'm not intelligent enough to play that card. But what I am saying is there's a moment where we start to look at things and go, Maybe we all need a reset button. Maybe we all need time to reevaluate, you know, how we're spending time with our families to reevaluate what it means to give someone a hug. Yeah. Um, and now that that's removed, you kind of go, Oh man. <laughs> like, holy shit. I missed that. <laughs> yeah. I, and yeah. that's 90% of like you said, 90% of my teaching style. And that's why last week was so tough for me is it's just being with kids and Hey, how are you guys doing? Hey, what's going on? And like, I have kids who I give hugs to all the time. Yeah. You know, I have kids who come to me when they have issues and just, and it's probably the part of my job, like, and I'll say this right to my principal. I've said it to my old principal, but like, 
I don't really, I don't say I don't value content. It's not about content. It's about connection. Yep. You know, so maybe we, we realize some things from that. And, you know, one of my teammates and buddies from Springfield, who's now the head coach at, at Ohio State, Nick Myers, yep. posted a little video to our club team that I coach with, just to our players uh, today. And he said, you know what? He goes, I was talking to a mentor of mine. He said, don't ever, don't un- ever under- underestimate the opportunity that come in a good crisis. And it was just such a profound little statement that, you know, there are so many. Mark Cuban posted something about it on Twitter, if you can find it. It was a great, a great concept of like, you know, the innovation this is gonna this is gonna cause, the growth and the change and the opportunity that can come from this. I posted something to my kids in their Google classroom about just hey, you know what? Hope is about knowing that you don't have to have a good day every day. Yeah. But knowing that when bad days are bad, there's a good days coming. Yep. I agree. And and so much again, I, I these conversations have been with people that I, I truly believe do a tremendous job, you know, in the, in the field, in the trenches and uh, the recurring theme with every, you know, every conversation I've had over the past month or so has been, yeah, it's a tough situation and we can allow that to infiltrate, you know, how we go about our business or we can look at it and say, you know what, Co- you know, coach Duncan from again, university of new Haven, She's like, I was petrified of doing my first Zoom meeting with my athletes. I, you know, I'd never done it before. I'd never led one before. She goes, you know, we've done a couple of them and now they're like second nature. And she's like, I'm actually getting to know my athletes better now to see their home and to see their families and their siblings on a, on a regular basis. <laughs> and so how yeah, does it it's a, it's a recruiting now? <laughs> like, right? She, yeah. Get home and talk with them. Yep. And she goes, you know, if we were in person, we'd be practicing and we'd have our technical skills training and all that type of stuff. But the fact that we're able to forge these freaking ridiculously strong relationships during this trying time, it might not make us better technically as a soccer player, but I'm pretty damn confident right now that come September when things get rolling, we're going to be a better team because of it. And just that attitude of, yep, it's shitty but let's try to pull one little positive out of it, you know, and then maybe pull a little bit more out of it the next day. Um, you know, I think that's something that's been common amongst the people that I've talked to who I, I absolutely consider tremendous leaders. It's such a cool concept. And it's one of those things in the big upside, like I think I said to you in a conversation with me the other day, like I've had students who have battled cancer or battled an injury and been out for multiple months in a school year and, and worked through it and been okay and graduated on time. Yeah. One of the big strengths we have in, in this scenario is we're all going through it together. Yep. And there's, there's those moments, you know, the, the people I do worry about, and, and I'm sure, you know, there's the people in your world and, and I know you've been in classrooms and I'm sure you have kids like this that you work with that, you know, of like, there are some kids that I worry about. Like I've called some kids and some families and emailed to say, Hey, just checking in. I hope you're okay. Yeah, I think some of us are more, not more capable, you know, but in a better place mm-hmm. at, at, at this given time, you know, growing up, you said, I live next door to my parents, but I'll say growing up, there was a point in the early nineties where they decided to put an, an addition on their house and the contractor went belly up halfway through and disappeared with like $80,000. Yeah. And it was almost identical, like late February, early March. So it was almost identical time of year. You know, they're okay right now, obviously, but yeah. if that was snowballed on top of this quarantine, well, my future 
and it looks a little different because of that. So there are, there are those points where it's like, you got to kind of go back and look at like, Hey, how can we support those people? Um, and then, yeah, what can we take from that? What, yeah. what can we take, you know, and that's the basic thing I teach my kids and my, my uh, students is when it comes to empathy, like if you, you're having a bad day, just start with a smile towards someone else, give something to someone else. And as soon as you do that, you, you can kind of, you can change the tides a little bit. Yeah. There are some people who I think struggle, whether it's, we're talking about mental health in little ways or addiction in little ways or, you know, homelessness. Now there are some people that, you know, their, their margin for success or failure is a little, a little more steep than, than mine is right yep. now. Yep. Yep. 100%. Well, we're on the home stretch here. I got a couple of quick hitters, heaters come, coming at you right now. And my challenge, and this is going to be a leadership challenge for Jim Warnock. It's got to be a sentence or less and no freaking run-ons. Oh, sorry. Right. <laughs> You're a big reader. I know that. So I'm going to eliminate book, uh, a movie, a show, a podcast, a series that has recently had an impact on you, positive or negative. Go one sentence or less cheater. Uh, the youth coaching, winning youth coaching, winning youth coaching podcast. Yep. And we'll get, who is it? We'll give them a little plug. Craig Hayworth, Craig Hayworth. All right. So another podcast to check out that has recently impacted Jim Warnock is winning youth coaching by Craig Hayworth, a current leadership inspiration and why I don't, I don't really know. Uh, what do you mean? Someone I'm inspired by? Yeah. Well, Dan, you come on. Well, uh, part of it is like, honestly, like, I love good craftsmanship. Um, and I've said this to you in person, so this isn't, this shouldn't be a surprise to you, 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 you weasel. <laughs> like we have rugs put in our house. I love stepping back and watching good craftsmen work. It's so cool to watch the process start to finish. Yeah. You know, and, you know, I, I enjoy that. So, I mean, you, um, you know, like Keith and John, like we talked about, I, I don't, I don't really buy into big time leadership stuff. I steal a lot yeah. um, from those people and look at like, Hey, you know, the books or this or that. Um, I used to be a big coaching book guy and I've gotten away from that. Cause it's like, you know, whoever has the best season in the NFL or in college football, give it eight months. There's a book. Of course. Um, and so guys like you um, guys like John guys like, like Gunner, we brought up guys like Teddy. Of course. Um, Cause those are to me, you know, watching you when I brought groups to you and I'm very protective of my groups. Um, so it's, it's really difficult. And it's actually one of my biggest challenges as a leader is to step back and let other people do other adults do Yeah, because I, I want things to look a certain way. I want the energy to be a certain way. And, and I need to, that's been probably the biggest growth in my situation of the last couple of years. My wife looking at me when I was complaining about a youth, a youth coach and <laughs> Hey, he's a, he's an accountant or, you know, he's an RN and um, so either help him be better or shut up. And, you know, that moment was such a, a transformational moment. So it, it's those like to just step back and let people go, but watching you work a group, watching you identify a kid that can do more and shaping that, um, you know, that'd be one I would give watching Teddy, like you said, Teddy works, work a group in the coaching world, watching, I get so many opportunities to be around because of the Springfield lacrosse family around guys and be able to watch them at a practice, you know, Andy Shea, 
Andy Shea would be a big one for me if you wanted yeah. to see the person that's not you. The head men's lacrosse coach at, at Yale is a buddy of mine. The Great. same thing to watch him work a group. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, yeah, good. We'll go with Andy because I don't. I don't want to. I don't want you to put my name in the hat. But I really pre- appreciate the shout out. And one another. You know, going back to Teddy France, and I, I, as you and I tend to do, we're going beyond our one sentence limit here. Um, one of the things I learned uh, in his course, it was one of the first times we taught each other our sophomore year in his uh, high school teaching methods class. It was like, here's the the key to the equipment closet figure out a concept, communication, trust. And it was an adventure ed based class in phys ed and invent the game and facilitate it. And I, oh, I love it. And, and it's, it's, it's the simplest concept to me now that I, and I try to do this. And when I, when I facilitate groups, it's, it's not about what you're doing. It's about how you're doing it. And, and I see that in you. And that's, I think how one of the big ways Teddy shaped me, it's, it's less about the, you know, the what, and it's, it's all about the how. Um, so we hit our limit though. Um, good answers. Thank you again for the, for the plug there. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, um, you know, being general, man, I, it's, it's not me blowing smoke. Like, and I've said this to you, when we had my kids down in power, when you came to us last spring, like being able to watch you do what you do, watch, I mean, you came in and, and worked with our entire K-12 phys ed department. Yeah. Um, and watching that in a way, with a lot of dominant personality. <laughs> um, it's pretty cool to watch. Classroom control, baby. Phys ed teachers, <laughs> they, that's, they got that in the back freaking pocket. Uh, <laughs> um, you mentioned early on uh, your brother, Kevin, at, at the prime, the better, and he plays and coaches lacrosse, or he played, better lacrosse player in the prime. Mm, I, I don't know if he can, two totally different. Stop it. You got it. You got to answer as a, as an athlete, I had a great year, my senior year. He's a classic coach's kid. Cause I'm five years older than him. So everything I got, I passed to him. So yeah. I would say that early on, I was, I was, I was better than him. Um, I would say that somewhere around 80 to 90% into each of our careers, he passed me okay. because of his knowledge of the game. Like yeah. he could process the game at a higher level. Um, as for a straight, you know, physicality standpoint, you know, so I'd say him yeah. by a close margin near the end. Better coach, better coach. Game better than I did. Better coach. Um, he's got more coaching under his belt than I do, to be completely honest with you. Yeah. You know, so, you know, I'm somewhat envious that he, he did the college coaching thing. He was a head coach, yeah. coach at West New England, St. Leo's Bates college. And then was a head college coach for a while and made a go of it and then ended up at Hamden Hall coaching there. Yep. Um, so I was a high school head coach for, for four years. And then I've helped out at multiple high schools and done the college thing as a, as a, you know, a, a coordinator for 10 odd years. Um, I'd say we're very much, I'd say we're very much the same. There are very few people in the world that I can coach with and John Kopacki and Kevin Warnock happen to be two of them because we yep. have, we can step on a field and run a practice together, but Again, I'd have to give him the nod just because he's he's done it as a head coach more, which is so totally different. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, I him early on when he was a college head coach, I said, just so you know, like I, I went from being a college assistant for for three years to a high school head coach, and I, it was the same thing with the assistant AD job. Like this isn't that hard, but when it's your name and it's your program, and you know when you become a head coach, you go from 
the greatest job in America, in my opinion, is being an assistant coach because you get oh, to coach yeah. these kids yeah. all the time. Um, as soon as you become the head coach, 40% of what you do is actual coaching and 60 to 70% at points is, is administration and management. All that other stuff. Yeah. Um, that, that's your, this is just goes to show how great of a guy Jim is. I was trying, I'm trying to spark a little, uh, you know, throw a little gasoline on the fire. There's nothing there. I got two younger brothers and we bust each other's chops all the time. And it, you know, what a, what a guy. So Kevin, if you take this in, <laughs> you got big shoes to fill, buddy. Uh, <laughs> what's a last one? Whenever this, this thing ends, what's in store? Like, what's the first thing you're going to do, whether it's a personal thing or a family thing? What, you know, what's number one on Jimmy's list once uh, the, the quarantine has been lifted and it's safe to resume normal life? I'm kind of built really well for quarantine, so I don't. <laughs> like, as long as I get these interactions, I'm okay. Okay. Um, and, and ironically enough, you said finding the bright spots. After my brain surgery, I, I said I was going to really slow down and reevaluate stuff. And I did that for about a year. And now seven years later, I was more involved. I, I don't, one of my biggest strengths is I'm a people pleaser. And one of my biggest weaknesses, again, is that I'm a people pleaser. So I don't say no to a lot of stuff. So, you know, I'm coaching kindergarten through second grade lacrosse two days a week in the spring. Typically, I'm coaching my son's team of 28 to well, actually we had 30. 43 kids registered in fifth and sixth grade in a small town, right? And, and helping to run that and helping on the board and doing a sales job and teaching and then coaching for a couple other clinic-based programs in the area. Um, so one of the upsides of all this for me is that it, it's forced me to slow down a little bit and, and just kind of recharge. Um, but when this is all said and done, to just be someone who helps others find I say this now, but help them find a little bit of balance and understanding that, you know, it's all going to work its way out. Like I'm sure people in the great depression weren't, weren't had no idea some of the stuff that was coming down the road. And are we coming to that? I'm, I'm, I don't want to be a, a, you know, I'm not trying to tell the future, but finding and helping others just find the bright spots and, and, and move forward. Yeah. You know, and that's it. And that's really all we can do. Um, and just keep, keep plugging away. I can't, and that, you go back to what I learned from the, the brain surgery accident. And that was, Hey, I can't control anything that already happened. Mm -hmm. Control my energy. I can control my attitude. I can control what I do with it. Sometimes I, I do really well with that. And sometimes I do really poor. And then I got to get past the guilt and the shame of the bad decision, or I should have said it this way, or I shouldn't have done that. Uh, but helping other people know that they can continue to work towards that, I guess. It's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Jim, the say it's been a pleasure would be an understatement. I, I, anytime we get to talk, whether it's on phone or via zoom or in person is, is always great. And for anybody out there that, you know, happens to listen to this, if you're ever in South Windsor and you want to, you know, want to cross paths with a guy that's doing it right, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, that's Jim Warnock in my eyes and uh, been a great friend, uh, you know, since September of 98. Uh, someone that, you know, um, you know, might go, you know, a few years of not talking or not seeing, but uh, you get on the phone and you kind of pick right up where you left off and absolutely appreciate you for, for uh, uh, taking time and being on and, uh, you know, we'll let you get back to your family. But Jim, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. And I uh, look forward to working with you more. Absolutely. So Jim Warnock, leads with empower on the, on the podcast here today. Thank you again, Jimmy, and uh, sending my absolute best to 
to you and your, your entire family and wishing you guys nothing but health and happiness. You know, appreciate our listeners checking in. Jim Warnock leads with Empower, ladies and gentlemen. We'll talk to you all soon. Thank you so much to our listeners. We appreciate you tuning in. And always remember, great leadership looks, sounds, and feels different. However, there is a common thread that connects all tremendous leaders. They are passionate about those that they lead, and they spend most of their time in their stretch zone. Not settling for that which is comfortable, because nothing exceptional was ever accomplished from comfort. Thank you.